Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Dear colleagues, uh, welcome to the Easel Studio your weekly hepatology broadcast news. The today episode is not dedicated to a scientific team, but to a much broader and overall much more important team. Our future as a pathologist, the future of our specialty and our research activity. There are many topics that are potentially to be discussed. But given the short time, in agreement with my co-chair, Professor Jessica Zachman, we concentrated on some main ones. So I'm very honored to introduce our speaker, Thomas Burr, the current Secretary of ESOL, and Alexander Craig, the next Secretary of ESOL. Yeah, so, welcome. Welcome, Paolo and Jessica. Welcome all. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you very much, Alexander, to be here. So the first topic is related to the changing landscape of the pathology. There is some concern around the change in the landscape because the expected increase in the burden of liver disease is probably far greater than can be managed by the current cadre of a pathologist. There is an increased need of a cross-disciplinary medical developments that can influence the future of a pathologist. You know, in some countries, for example, the new drug for ACC can be prescribed only by oncologists. Finally, the nature of dealing with patients with very complex clinical condition and the lack of disease-specific intervention for several conditions, I mean uh, NFLD, for example, are scarce and less attractive as compared to other specialities. All this may drive trainers away. So the first question that we should face is the following, what we can do to face this problem? Yeah. Sorry. Thanks a lot, Peps. I, I can start. Paolo, you know, I think there are two dimensions here. And, and as you mentioned correctly, I think we have more and more that liver disease, when it comes to advanced disease like hepatocellular carcinoma or cirrhosis, that is a multi-special team, you know. And we really have to guarantee that this is covered in the team. And at the same time, and this is very much more advanced disease, we have this burden of what we call non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And it's really centered now in the middle also, also of primary care. And of course, this will create a lot of challenge how we can manage it. And Alexander, do you want to comment perhaps also on, on this Neffold field, how we can? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's, let's say, is this good or bad news? It doesn't really matter because it's a challenge. It's the reality we are facing. And I think that's where we, I guess as a medical society, as a specialty, but also as, as easel, 
it, we should exactly do this, look into the future and how can we support something that underpin how we do this better? How do we reinforce research that inform this area better? So in the end of the day, we have better care for these patients because these are unsolved issues. We have all these patients there undiagnosed. We have all this issue around awareness. And we don't even have a recognized name for, 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 for NAFLD. So there's a, a really a lot to do there. And I think that's really, really high on, on EASL's agenda. And it's not something EASL do alone. It's also something where we go together with our global partners around the world. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, um, yeah, sorry, Jessica, please. Yeah. Maybe if I can uh, continue on this line, uh, what is your thinking on the on the future of research in uh, hepatology, what could be the major field of research that will be developed in the next future? Do you have some idea on that? Well, you I know, think Jessica, I think there are many things, but what I really wanted to start with, and I mentioned a multidisciplinary team, and you know, now for the first time, with this global pandemic of NEFLD, let's say 25, up to 30% of the population in the world have a fatty liver and we know that a fatty liver is linked to other organs inter-organ trafficking and all these things you know really to learn how we can work together and this is something new because before hepatology hepatologist has always been judged as something very special you know most people do not understand and really we have to transform here right alexander and I think this is the way we have to go also in terms of science, that we are not anymore working in silos. Yeah, that, that's very clear. If we want to, to win this battle in, in, in the service of our patient, of course, we need to put uh, all forces together and we need to reinforce it. And I think they're both from, from your side also populist and attract uh, the right research, but we also, as those who can potentially influence the policymakers, or those who actually made the calls that, that, that put out money for research, that we continuously need to push this area and say, okay, there's a huge population of, of diseases here that, that are underserved. And again, we have to acknowledge there, there we are battling again a lot of people with a lot of big microphones in our uh, uh, neighboring specialities. But maybe also to dig into that, Jessica, I can maybe also just, if we can, uh, I'll see if I can get the slide here. Um, I assume you can see a, a slide now. now. So it was again to see the development. So this is looking a little backwards, but again, sometimes to understand what's going forward, it's good to have a brief look backwards to see what was the development the last 10 years. So here we compiled from PubMed just a simple search on, on the different topics, disease areas we have on the right side there in 2011 and 2021. And so what was the development in distribution and relative uh, number of publications in PubMed? So one thing you can immediately see is that we are, the field of hepatology is expanding and that's good. We have more research and hopefully also better research, but at least more knowledge, more active people. But you can also see the individual uh, distribution among the fields. And I think one thing that was, to be honest, a little bit surprised to me, if you take the bottom one first, there you can see that the field where we have most publications, that's actually in liver cancer and HCC and cholangiocarcinoma with a dramatic increase. And I can also tell you 
that I don't know if we get to that slide, but if we look forward, also look into to, to clinicaltrials.gov, where all the future trials of the trials that are actually recruiting, uh, they, they, they are registered. You can see that this is also the leading field. And there, as expected, you can see a, a shrinkage in a plateauing in, in hepatitis B and a shrinkage in hepatitis C. And, and, and again, an expansion in, in, um, in NAFL D, but still NAFL D is much smaller than, than, um, than, than HCC. And if, if maybe I can just show you this slide. And it's a little difficult slide because I made the, 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 um, y-axis as a logarithmic one, because otherwise there was so big differences that what is impossible to compile. And that's a bit, I'll come back to that. But there again, you can see the dip, all the different sub disease categories and the green ones are trials that are already completed data we already have and the orange one are the ones that that are active so there you can see that the most active field no big surprise hepatitis b c hcc but going forward again if you take to the right left there hcc is where we have most trials and these trials will be the one coming in, in the coming years they will define the future they will impact how we deal with our patients if you then go in the middle there, there's also this, let's say the disparity that alcohol is a leading cause of disease, but this is where we have least um, least uh, registered trials. But maybe also some input from you, Thomas. What do you think when you see this and how yeah, should let, we navigate? Let me say that this is exactly the trend that we are observing in the number of paper we are receiving and in the number of paper that we are publishing on the journal. This is uh, the trend that we are observing. Yeah, I think that uh, in GEP report, because maybe we are uh, more recent, uh, we have a lot of papers that are coming from NASH. And uh, I have to say that um, also the number of, uh, of research that come to from PBC field, PSC, and also other more rare diseases are really increasing at this moment. I think that uh, it is because of the revolution and technical revolution. And we have a lot of cohorts of patients that are no, now more mature with uh, the following of the patients that really we are able now to analyze more precisely the diversity of the disease and to better understand the mechanism of the disease. So what is your... Which technologies are driving this development, Jessica? Yes, for example, uh, we, we have the revolution in terms of uh, uh, genetics. And uh, currently, we have more and more papers dealing with uh, uh, the sequencing of uh, the germline, but also uh, the tissue uh, of the patients, and uh, I think that it is really completely opening some new avenue uh, to integrate the, the data also with the clinical data and uh, the physiology. Uh, we have a revolution also in the spatial transcriptomics, for example, really to identify at the level of the unique cell uh, what is the, the profile of expression of the genes and the biology of the cell, and then to reconstruct, to reconstruct, release the, the physiology and then the physiopathology. So we, I think that we are in a, in really an era that is very special, together also with 
really amazing number of individuals that are included in cohort of patients, patients and, and individuals in the general population that lead to an incredible power of uh, new discovery uh, that we have never been imagining. I mean, for example, in, in the UK data bank, uh, we have now more than 500,000 individuals that are followed pros prospectively. And this is really opening the new uh, uh, so, possibility of discovery. How, how and when do you think that will translate into clinical practice? Because I mean, I'm also fascinated by all this technology, the depth to what we can understand these things at the single nuclei level. But when when do you think that will start to implement impact the way we do clinical practice and handle the patients? Yeah, I think it's a major question at this moment, and uh, to we need to increase the discovery. It is on, uh, ongoing, uh, uh, but then we need to to translate that for the for the benefit of the patients and to translate that for the uh, the reality into the clinical care. Um, and Jessica, I think this is really also, and hopefully as easily we can also help a bit to leverage this that we need more these big data, and of course, you know, with the EU Horizon 2020, that we can really really bring people together and prospectively evaluate what AI and all this new technology can really bring. And of course, always the new shoes, you know, look very nice, but when it really comes uh, to, to, to the clinic, it can be very complicated. You know, Alexander and, and also um, Paolo, when I saw these slides, I think really we have to train our hepatology community in hepatocellular carcinoma. There is an immediate need to better understand how to prevent. And it's clear that the NASH pandemic will be a major driver for cancer development. But what I was actually missing here a bit is cirrhosis. Yeah, I want, I want to highlight this. There are two yeah. missing points and teams that are liver failure and liver transplantation that are expanding in number of uh, submitted paper, in number of accepted paper. And uh, I fully agree on what you said on the innovative technology. This uh, will represent a great opportunity, I think, for a pathologist in the next future. So I take this as an informal review process, and uh, that was a good advice from our editors and chiefs to include. The... <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. No, no, I know. Obviously, this should be more granular and make us us uh, understand the, the development, but also what is what is underpinning it and the technology, and maybe. Yeah, it's basically us who are up for questions, but I'm also interested because we all believe that digitalizations, AI, and all these things, they shall solve all our problems. Mm -hmm. But but how many papers and of good quality papers do you actually see coming in in, in, in that field, uh, Paolo? Well, we are receiving a lot of uh, very good paper with a large number of uh, patients included, you know. What we are expecting is to find uh, some uh, new agents active uh, in the treatment of uh, this disease, you know, because uh, up to now, the, the, the most important achievement has been reached in the field of ACC probably, and now in the treatment of uh, ACE mm, infection by HDV, but, uh, you know, in ELD and Nephildi, we have not uh, at the moment uh, agent that we can spend in clinical practice. 
Yeah, I, I think it's very important. And as you mentioned also, Thomas, at the beginning, the multidisciplinary research is very, very important to, to have a complementary approaches. But uh, I, I would like to have your advice also on uh, the collaboration and collaborative sharing the data also and how to collaborate. Because you know that uh, it has been proven that the research uh, is uh, of a highest quality, higher quality when uh, there is some international collaboration than when uh, you are really monocentric uh, uh, driven uh, research. So how we can improve uh, the research uh, and uh, how we can share the data. You know that there is also a, a debate of which type of data we can share. What, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, um, Jessica, absolutely. And I did a similar survey for an ETL ACLD masterclass quite recently, where I looked on, on meta-analyses, you know, because meta-analyses quite often are considered as giving you the answer to difficult or let's say to clinical problems where the single studies do not have enough data, not enough power. And what I was, I was really surprised that in the last 20, 30 years, there was really an exponential increase in meta-analyses, mostly meta-analyses, you know, you can say this old saying garbage in, garbage out, you know. So I think what we also need, and this is a trend that people are very much interested taking the data, making something out of it. But I think we have to convince the people creating good data first, you know, and this is, of course, more difficult to achieve and do it on an international level. And I think here um, we want to be as easily also more active, perhaps really in helping to get funds or to stimulate these collaborative work. And I think it would be great if we not only do it as our hepatology community, but also together with other specialities, because I think these inter-organ things, you know, also in training of our students, you know, we always, if you go to the gastroenterologist, they tell this and then cardiologist, but these organs are communicating. And I think this can be a very fascinating way of really looking to our body when we yeah, leave a bit our, our silos and, and try to work together. I think the new generation is perhaps more open to data sharing as we old gay guys were. I think so. Yeah, and this is good news. And of course, we are very much promoting working together. Yeah. Absolutely. So we we all agree on the need of a multidisciplinary and multi-professional approach to several liver diseases to avoid the worst scenario that liver failure will be managed by anesthesiologist, liver transplantation by liver surgeon, and so and so and so. But uh I, I hope that ESL can maintain uh, the leadership of the process, you know. I don't know why, and I'm not the, I don't know how, but uh, this is uh, crucial for our speciality. I think we, uh, I we need agree. to consider why there, Paolo, because, uh, of course, the why is clear. No, the why is clear, sorry. Yeah, but the, the how, I think that's 
we are working, I guess, on every day with Easel because it's so important we always continue to attract the next generation. We should make it very attractive to go into hepatology for the smart young people. We should provide the best uh, uh, educational offers and, and be very open in, in this environment. I think there we're doing pretty good. And also, as you see in the age distribution of who is members of Easel, and, and, and the sex distribution, actually, we are not doing that bad. Of course, we can always do more. But I think also looking into a future with, where there is global shortage of healthcare workers, this will just be worth. It would be more and more difficult to attract the talents. So us as responsible uh, people sitting uh, often in the end of the, the, the table, they really need to do our utmost to attract uh, the most motivated and, and, and smart young people to enter our speciality. Yeah, and Alexander, you know, we discussed it also on the governing board that we are really thinking that EDL could help in what you mentioned, Paolo, by defining what a liver center means, you know, what you have to provide, with whom you have to work together, what you have to implement, and also not why not only um, thinking about something like an hepatology exam coming from EDL that could really attract the people uh, to be trained in these certain fields and, and really yeah. to set these, uh, these definitions for the better good of our patients, of course, because, you know, um, it would make a difference whether a liver specialist is involved in the cancer treatment, in the more advanced uh, uh, patients on with liver disease being on the ICU. Yeah, going on on this point, uh, we cannot forget, of course, our patients. And, you know, uh, the recent uh, ESL Lancet Commission documents highlighted uh, the inconsistency of the model of care. So in many countries, the idea of an integrated, multi-professional, multidisciplinary assistance with strong interaction with the territory is now rooted. And innovation technology can greatly facilitate this process. So how we can better develop uh, this problem? I mean, can the ESL promote some centralized guidelines for the definition of national clinical networks to assure equity, timeless access to care and continuity of care in patients with liver disease. Yeah, that's a very good suggestion there, Paolo. Again, we need to, to build the direction. I think the bar is very much built by the easel guideline, but could we go beyond the bar? And I think that's the work that's being done in the easel Lancet Commission. And now we are working on the second stage of the easel Lancet Commission and among others looking into these things, because how do you implement these? How do you make good models of care? But also how do you document these models of care? How do you convince uh, payers and healthcare system to implement these things. So there's really a, a, a lot to do, but I completely agree that this way of the patient circling in the system from the community into primary, secondary, tertiary care and back again. And I also think a future we're looking into, it's much more empowerment of patients. They want to decide a lot more themselves. They want to have a much bigger say. And that's also what I can see I guess from Thomas and my standpoint, now our kind of parts in the patient's organization, they're becoming really professional, really important stakeholders in this game. And many times, you know, media and policy makers, they care 
more about what the patient's organization than we as, as, as a medical specialty. So this, again, bringing, as you say, the stakeholders together who have a shared goal and shared vision of how we advance this field is, is, is vital to, 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 to really ad advancing this field in the, in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you empower the patient in terms of education, they are interested also, just as this little thing as the liver enzymes, you know, and in most countries where we're not able to implement it in healthcare checks, checkups, you know, and this is really, in, in my view, a disaster, and it could be really a first step. And here we were working together, and we're really starting to bring the world together to say, well, you need a certain time in your life if you go to a, a doctor to your family doctor and you take I think it's, uh, it's also very important to translate the knowledge uh, for the patients and uh, for the general population and to be understandable by the general population and uh, to really try to motivate for the prevention and uh, but um for sure, the implementation in uh, in the general practice is very important uh, of the guideline and uh, to have the standard of care that is uh, better uniformized also through Europe and uh, to give the maximum chance for the patients to be treated at the excellence of, uh, of the level of uh, hepatology. Uh, but I want to come back also to uh, our specialty that is really the liver. And uh, to also pinpoint that uh, because we are specialists on, uh, on an organ that is very complex, uh, um, we have our specialty that is really very important, not only at the level of the clinical level, but also and the clinicians, but also for the research. I mean, to have a for example, uh, a tumor and a cancer in uh, in the liver is absolutely not the same than having a tumor in the colon. And we have to treat uh, at the same time the chronic liver disease and uh, the cancer in the liver. And these patients are really very specific. But we we need also to take care of the patients to 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 have the preventions that are very active, but also to don't stigmatize the patients that are also coming with the chronic liver disease and co coming also with a risk factor with sometimes alcohol intake and drug or something like that. And uh, how do you see the future also in integrating all these facets on, uh, on, of the disease uh, for the, the care of the patients? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh I, I don't know if you want to go first, Thomas, but yeah, there, there, are, there are many questions um, within what you what you ask for. Perhaps if we start with with a stigma, again, you know, um, let's say education and really talking about liver disease, a better understanding, of course, would help. You know, and um, if you also have patients talking about their disease, we have the whole issue with liver transplantation, and also the liver transplantation is in the, all, all the transplantation is in a way stigmatized. And I think it's really information is missing. And also policymaker, of course, could help us to improve it. It's very difficult just as a medical society to achieve this goal, because this really comes to the broad population of each countries and, and really to, to, to have a better knowledge. But if you un better understand what is going on, I think this will help really to to achieve a change here. And of course, I, I couldn't agree more that um, the liver is so, yeah, 
special in a way and all the regenerative capacity you know could be even play a bigger role in our future treatment if we do understand this better and that there's a huge potential that is perhaps not yeah really so communicate this speciality that's i think quite unique that you can spend a whole life in hepatology only dealing with the brain and spend a whole life in hepatology dealing with the lungs or the heart or the kidneys, Paolo. So it's it's fascinating or in, in, in cancer. So we really need to sell this as the, let's say, the ultimate challenge of, of, of handling uh, or working with, with liver diseases. So, of course, it's complex, but of course, complex also attracts uh, curious and ambitious uh, people. So I think this way of selling our field as something that is really unique. I cannot come up with any other diseases that in that way impact everything in the body. And, and again, back to the collaboration there, it also gives you unique opportunities to collaborate with all other disciplines. And then if you add on the whole microbiome, digitalizations, omics, et cetera, then it is one big party. Yeah. So if I can uh, add a comment, uh on the ESA Lancet Commission. Do you know, we started the new section in the journal that is the public health corner, because uh, I had the impression that the content of the ESA Lancet Commission document has not been adequately disseminated in our community. Which do you think it could be the rule of the ESA journal in this field? to face uh, stigma, to face uh, the lack of awareness about uh, liver disease uh, in the community. Well, Paolo, I think really all starts with good science. And this is what we stand for, you know? And if we can help good science, knowledge, and this will be the basis for, for change. And I think it's really excellent if we also, and we have to do it, and we learned it also with Hep C, you know, we can cure hep C, but we can only cure hep C if you find the patient. So the field turned really more in towards a public health issue. So we are learning also um, depending on where the science is going, where the demands are. And therefore, I think it's a very important step also to move more uh, towards the, the policy and public health that we really achieve the change we know that can be achieved from a scientific standpoint. And we connect, I guess, the pillars and easel because of course the journals are where the data is, but if the, just as you say, if the data don't come out, and I think it's already there, you put focus on, 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 on stigma, you put per, focus on early detection, et cetera, but then we need to gear it with all the other pillars of ESL, and in particular public health and policy kicking in the doors in Brussels, but also in edu education, so that we have so called a coherent strategy. We know these are the key challenges, and then we use our muscles across all these different things, and we sort of coordinate what's going on in, in also our meetings, uh, conferences, etc. And I think then we will have a huge disseminative power. And also given what we can say with these studios, on average, we have 1,000 people from 70 different countries listening in. That, that's another opportunity. If we then gear that with what's going on in social media. You remember last uh, year or last summer in, in, in London, just Twitter alone, there was more than 50 million impression with the Twitter hashtag of ILC 2022. 
So actually the opportunity to gear what we have of sound knowledge is unique and, and we will really do our utmost to continue that. So thank you very much. I think that to close uh, this uh, webinar, we can be very optimistic for the for the future of hepatology. Uh, we we will think on the collaborative work, uh, amazing cohort of patients, uh, new technologies, but for sure to take care of translating for the benefit of the patients each time we can. This is really our major aim. And for that, the collaboration is also very, very important. And the youngest generation is also one of the major important uh, um, fields uh, where we easily is working for. Thank you very much.